Good morning. I'm Amy Conway from the Pastoral Search Committee. Our committee and all of us here at Mayflower are very excited our search has brought us Pastor Sean. We are thankful Sean, Sarah, Kate, and Charlotte are safely here and slowly settling into life here in Grand Rapids. Pastor Sean has been in the office all week, connecting with staff and learning about Mayflower. We are very excited for this new chapter. I believe good things are worth waiting for. Please help me in welcoming Dr. Sean Bowalski. Well, good morning. uh, Can you hear me okay? Is this coming through all right? Am I coming through the speakers? Okay, great. Got a thumbs up there. Well, thank you so much. It is lovely to be here. It has been quite the journey for me and my family these last few months. We've come from pretty much the other side of the world, as far as you can get. And throughout this whole process of leaving China, coming back to the States, coming here to Grand Rapids, the search committee, the transition committee, so many folks from Mayflower have loved us have made us feel supported and welcomed, and we really appreciate that. I would like to say on behalf of my family and of myself, thank you for that warm welcome. Welcome this morning. We're glad you're here. I um, appreciate the name tags. I look forward to getting to know each one of you. Hopefully we'll have a meal uh, together sometime pretty soon here in the fall. Uh, I'd also like to say, if this is your first time here at Mayflower, uh, me too. <laughs> so you showed up on a good Sunday, I guess. It'll be interesting. But uh, if it's your first time, please come introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. And with that, I'm going to kick it over to Rachel for the news of the congregation. Good morning. I have a few announcements for this morning. We hope that you have all received the August newsletter in the mail over the last few weeks. If you have not, that means we do not have your address in our database. So if you would take a minute to sign the friendship register at the end of your aisle and include your address, we'll be able to get the mailings from Mayflower to you. Prayer cards will be collected today during the second hymn by the ushers, and Pastor Jonathan White will be available for prayer up front after the service. The family of Willa Bauer wanted us to share with you that she passed away this last week. There will be visitation here at Mayflower This Thursday from 6 to 8, as well as Friday at 10 a.m. The service for Willa will be Friday at noon at 11 with a reception at noon. And all are welcome. We are still collecting school supplies for one more week for Potter's House. We would love for you to help us to bless the kids at the school with new crayons and pencils and markers and all things school. The 29 Up Group, which encompasses all of our families, are having a Water Slide Wednesday event. This Wednesday from 4 to 6 here at the church, we're having dinner and water and fun to be with each other as well as to meet Sean and Sarah and the girls. We have two sign-ups available for you after the service. The first is to sign up to have a meal with Sean in September or October as well as with Sean and Sarah moving from China, 
they didn't bring their furniture with them. And so this Saturday, they are moving into their new home and are in need of a few furniture items if you may happen to have something available. Now I would like to invite Dr. Julia Brown to come and share a moment for music. With today's scripture being 1 Corinthians 13, that middle hymn, The Gift of Love, seems to uh, connect directly with what uh, what, uh, Sean's going to talk about today. Um, And our closing hymn, Awake, Awake to Love and Work, tells us what can we do when we have that love and project it out into the world. Um, The text of that closing hymn also uh, has many imageries about the beauty of this world. The lark is in the sky, the fields are wet with diamond dew, Um, so um, beautiful images of creation, and that will also be present in today's offertory. We're so um, blessed to have Christy and Anne-Marie here singing. They have sung duets for many years together. They love singing duets, and you've uh, 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 enjoyed hearing them sing for many years, even before I've been here. And so their offertory today is focusing on the gentle beauty of uh, nature. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This is Sunday. Let us worship. This is a day that marks a new beginning for Mayflower. Let us celebrate. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Let us pray. O God of many names, Elohim, El Shaddai, Adonai, Lord of hosts, Abba, Father, God Almighty, you have given our species the ability to wonder about, reflect upon, and experience your presence. You have also given us Jesus, the bread of life, the Prince of Peace, mighty Counselor, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, Christ our Savior. We experience him in so many ways across history, culture, and differing faith traditions. As we worship this morning, speak to us in that still, small voice so that we may worship in spirit and truth in a way that experiences your presence and empowers us to love others. In the name of the Prince of Peace, amen. Good morning. This is the time in our service where we have our children's message, which is meant for children who are preschool age through grade school to come forward at this time to the front stairs to join me. Good morning, girls. Okay, so this summer, we have been talking about symbols, because in this whole building, in this room, are a lot of symbols that we don't always know about. And since it's almost back to school time, I know, a groan from all the kids, but a yay from the parents. Um, we are going to talk about numbers. So as you grow up, there are some important numbers in your life. This number is important. Why is the number 10 an important number? It's the first time you're double digits. 10 is a big deal. All right. Why is this number important? Why is the number 13? Because you're a teenager. So exciting. And then this is a really big one. 16, you can drive, super awesome. And then 18, you're an adult and you can vote. And that's really important as well. Well, the Bible has three super important numbers. And when anything is repeated a lot in the Bible, that means it's really important. So this is one of the first numbers in the Bible that's important. The number seven. Because... In Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, when is the number seven used? Do you remember? 
How many days did God take to create everything? Yep, seven days. He rested on the seventh day. Twelve is an important number in the Bible. Can you think of when he used the number twelve? How many disciples, Cecily? I know, you're getting all the questions. Twelve disciples, yes. And then there are forty. Forty is a very important number in the Bible, too. Fasted for forty days. And Noah was on the ark for 40 days. All right. I'm going to have you guys and everyone in the sanctuary look up. And we're going to look at the lights that are hanging in the chandeliers. How many lights do you think are in the chandeliers? What do you think? Mm, how many? Fifteen. Yep, and then we have all the different ones hanging. There are 144 lights in the chandeliers. So if you think of the number 144, it is 12 times 12. And the number 12 means authority. And if you believe in if God is the authority over everything... And whenever you repeat something in the Bible, if you say it once, it's important. If you say it twice, it's really important. But if you multiply a number in the Bible, it has its highest importance. So the fact that when they were creating this space, they on purpose put 144 lights in our chandeliers, they really wanted us to know that God is the authority over all of us. I think that's one of the most fascinating symbols that this room has. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for your specificity. We are thankful for your authority. We are thankful for those who have come before us to make this space a symbol of your love and your care and your rule over us and over all. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, I'm going to dismiss you with Mrs. Wiener to go to Sunday school.
Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Love. Love is the secret ingredient if you want to make a romantic comedy or if you want to make a top 40 pop hit. The idea of romantic love is a mainstay in pretty much all cultures. You know, in different times and in different places, people have been talking about love. And that's certainly true in pop music in the West. I learned a lot about love from pop songs. I think we all did, right? I mean, right, like John and Paul told us, all you need is love. You got it in your head? Okay, you hear it? Okay. And Elvis, well, he just can't help falling in love with you. Marvin Gaye says, there ain't no mountain high enough to stop love. Jay-Z and Beyonce tell us that we ought to be crazy in love. And these messages, we've all absorbed them. I got a few more, so hold on. Love will lift us up where we belong. Remember that song? 
Love will keep us together. I don't care who you are as long as you love me. Because your love keeps lifting me higher and higher. With all these songs, many of us spent our formative years soaking up this idea that romance is the ultimate human experience. But then, those same singers who would extol the wonders of romantic love would also sing about heartache and breakups. And then we kind of wonder, wait a minute, what's gone wrong with love? But then there's St. Paul. His famous passage on love we just heard read seems a good bit different than what we get in pop culture. Now, there's a bit of a problem for us with this passage. It runs the risk of becoming too familiar. I mean, we've probably heard uh, these verses read at countless weddings. Show of hands if you've heard this passage read at a wedding. Pretty, uh, come on, come on now. We, we've all heard this, right? And listen, that's a good thing. That's appropriate. But sometimes, especially out of context, the words we heard from Scripture today can get a little bit watered down. Paul's not talking about uh, an emotional experience or a feeling. Paul is talking about Christian love. Okay. But that then leads us to ask a question. What makes Christian love Christian? What makes it distinct? What makes it different? So in these few moments together today, I'd like us to explore three aspects of Christian love. Today we'll see that Christian love is supreme. We'll see that Christian love is surprising. And we'll see that we only know Christian love in the sacrifice of Jesus. So first, Christian love is supreme. In chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in the church. And he's addressing how the Corinthians were misusing, misunderstanding these spiritual gifts. They were using them to put others down and build themselves up. They were using them to boast about themselves. And in this Corinthian church, they were divided. There was a group who had these certain sort of spiritual gifts... Uh, There was a group that gave ostentatiously, and they were treated as if they were better. Those who weren't in that group were kind of second-class citizens in the church. So there are big problems going on that Paul is addressing. And as he's writing in these chapters about spiritual gifts and addressing them in detail, right in the middle, we have our passage from today, he takes an excursus on how love is supreme over these other spiritual gifts. As we heard explained, he says uh, that spiritual gifts are not permanent. Faith, hope, love, those things are permanent. But the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were so enamored with, where they're going to become unnecessary when Christ returns and brings all of the world to completion. But love, Paul says, Love will abide on into eternity. Love remains the greatest. Love reigns supreme, Paul says. And so knowledge, speaking in tongues, prophecies, faith, charity, martyrdom, 
None of that matters without love. That's how love is supreme. As infatuated as the Corinthians were with speaking in tongues, if they do it without love, they're just an empty echo, a pointless noise, Paul says. Spiritual insight, knowledge, make us nothing if we do it without love. Even a faith that can move a mountain is pointless if it's loveless. And as we heard in the passage, Paul says, listen, if you literally give everything you have away to the poor, and then if you work the rest of your life and give all of that to the poor, you've gained nothing if you've done it without love. Love is supreme. And sisters and brothers, here at Mayflower, it's been made very clear to me that we do a lot of really good things. Now, it's only my first week, but so far it really seems like we act out of love in this congregation. And that's good and beautiful. So let's lean into that. Let's continue on. And let's saturate everything in Christian love. Because love reigns supreme. Well, second, Christian love is surprising sometimes. I mean, it was certainly surprising for the Corinthians, although not in a really good way. See, they thought they had it all together. They thought they, they'd figured it out. So when Paul writes to them about love, he looks at their situation and he addresses what they've been missing. They were being harsh, stubborn. They were being vindictive and prideful. And so Paul's beautiful words speak right to them. Let's hear them again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In our passage, Paul is describing Christian love. Corinthians found it surprising because it's not what they had thought what it was all about. And you know, we, 2,000 years later, might find it a bit surprising in maybe another way. We might find it surprising that love is not primarily about emotional experiences. I should quickly say that the emotional experiences surrounding love are a really good part of the human experience. I don't want to denigrate them, but that's not love itself. These emotional highs you might experience are not the perfection of love. Jesus is the perfection of love. You know, it's, it's been said that you can take this passage and replace the word love with the name Jesus. So let's try that just a little bit here, and maybe we'll find some surprises. The passage says, love is patient and kind. And of course, Jesus is patient and kind. I mean, think about his kindness. It ran deep. When he encountered someone in need, it was never just mere pity that he had. It was kindness in action. 
He would not feel, merely feel bad for the sick or the poor, but he would show them compassion. Those who were outcasts, those who were ill, those who were nobodies. He would heal them. He would care for them. And he would invite them into his kingdom. That's love. Or maybe we could try another word from this passage. Love is not self-seeking, it says. And yes, that's true. Jesus is not self-seeking. When we look at his earthly ministry, there were plenty of times where he could have boosted his own fame and influence with the crowd. But instead, he pointed people to the Father who sent him. He was focused on the needs of others, not on himself. That's love. And so, in perhaps another twist, as we look at the life of Jesus, as we replace his name with the word love here, and we get a glimpse of his life, it can sort of challenge or maybe upset some of our ideas about what love is. Because remember, in the life of Jesus, sometimes love will grab a whip and clear out a temple and chase away predators with righteous indignation. Sometimes love can be harsh. Sometimes love will unload condemnation on the hypocrisy of religious leaders who were damaging the faith of those who'd come to worship. Sometimes love can offend our boundaries that we've set as it insists that even social deviants, outsiders, are fully human too. And perhaps in the biggest surprise of all, Love is sometimes brutally tortured, bloodied, and killed. Well, sometimes we can be surprised as we replace the word love with Jesus as to how our expectations don't always line up with what love really is. Well, I've said that Christian love can be surprising, and I'll mention one final way that we might find it surprising as well. It can come from a little bit of self-examination. As I've said, you can replace the word love with the name Jesus and you get a really good picture of his life and his ministry. You can you can see who he is when when you do that. But let's try something else from this passage. Replace the word love with your own name. So I would say Sean is patient. And then I would think, hmm, (laughs) Uh, sometimes. <laughs> and then I would say, Sean is kind. And I would think, well, I mean, I guess I have my moments, I suppose, but there are plenty of counterexamples. You know, this is not going as well as it did when I did it with Jesus. <laughs> and right there, in that perhaps unpleasant moment of surprise, when you see the difference in self-examination between Jesus, and your own life, we find our calling as Christians. We find that we are to look to Jesus and to rely on his Holy Spirit to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, the one who is love. Because as Christians, we belong to him, and so we grow to look like him. Third, 
we know Christian love in the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, it's interesting that this passage doesn't mention God or Jesus directly. And sometimes I wonder if there's a bit of a risk in reading it at a wedding, because perhaps too many people don't know the context, don't know much of what Paul or the New Testament has to say. And so this wonderful passage on Christian love gets interpreted along the lines of a pop song. (laughs) But Paul knows that you can't really grasp what love is without grasping Jesus. And so Paul doesn't so much give a definition of love here. Paul describes the one who is love. In our culture, in things like literature, advertisement, films, TV, social media, the word love often means something than what the Bible might mean by it. You've heard these messages. Perhaps they're not quite said so explicitly, but we're all told that love is something you can fall in or out of. We're told that love is physical attraction, or maybe we're told that love is sexual expression. Maybe we're told that love is shared sentimental moments. But in our passage for today, love is first of all an action. Love is a promise that's never broken. So I want to take you now to the 80s rock band Foreigner. Now, their biggest hit was a power ballad called I Want to Know What Love Is. Anyone remember this song, I Want to Know What Love Is? It was a big hit in the 80s. Rolling Stone magazine listed as one of the greatest songs of all time. Do you remember it? It starts off, you know, this is the 1980s, so there's like synthesizer keyboard sounds, because of course, right, that's the era, right? And eh, the song starts in the verse really quite mellow. He's singing about his pain and his heartache. He feels vulnerable from all this. And as the pre-chorus builds and swells, you can feel the song going to this explosive chorus. I want to know what love is, and I want you to show me. That's the big chorus of the song. And, you know, he's just a rock singer. I don't think he quite meant it this way, but I think he's on to something here. This line, I want to know what love is, starts with the premise that he doesn't really know what it is. He's he's gotten some glimpses, some vague notions. But instead of asking for a definition, he asks for a demonstration. I want you to show me. And if we take it that way, Again, perhaps not his intent, but I think it's quite theologically profound. See, the experiences that we have with love give us a slight taste of what love really is. In our lives and in our relationships, we can get glimpses of kindness, sacrifice, selflessness, generosity. And yet, when we truly see the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where we truly experience love love. Perhaps, perhaps you've had something like this with your sense of taste. Uh, for me, I remember when I was a kid, I had cherry-flavored candy. I had cherry-flavored icy cones at the fair. I had cherry-flavored cough syrup. And I really liked cherry flavoring. And it was really good. But it wasn't about until the age of 10 or so that I had a real cherry, like a firm, 
fresh, really ripe cherry. It isn't actually a piece of fruit. Now, for you Michiganders, like, I know that's sacrilege. Like, what do you mean you didn't eat a cherry until you were 10? But for me, I didn't have the real fruit until I was older. And I was amazing. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is what cherry really tastes like. And that's the way it is with love. We'll get a taste of love in our relationships, and those prepare us, certainly. But we don't really get it until we stand at the foot of the cross. And we see where love came down and died for us. It's in the sacrifice of Jesus that love is found and love is fully known. For us as Christians, love means something specific. Love is supreme. Nothing else we do matters without it. Love is surprising. Love tutors us, and it puts us on a path to becoming more loving like Jesus is. And the sacrifice of Jesus shows us what love really is. So, do you want to know what love is? The Bible says that God is love. Love is in the very life of God. The love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's God's life. And so we know that God is love. Always. No matter what. Love is the way God exists. And he loves us because he overflows with that love. And that love flows all the way to the cross. Brothers and sisters, that is what love is. Amen. I recently heard the three keys to living a life full of vitality. They are connection, challenge, and contribution. Our connection to others is how humans were designed to live, and we can attest to that with the importance of our friends and family. Challenges bring growth and accomplishments and takes us to places we can never have imagined. And contribution allows for us to give to others in whatever way we can. Science says that for us to give $10 to others brings more pleasure than it would be if we spend it on ourselves. Colossians 2.6 states, As therefore you have received the Christ, even Jesus our Lord, live and act in vital union with him. All three of these virtues are fulfilled when we worship together on Sunday mornings. We come together in relationship, we listen to scripture and sermons to be challenged, 
and we take this time as an offering to contribute. May we as a church family live connected, challenged, and be contributors to all that God has around us.
Heavenly Father, we come to you during this time of offering, giving back to you a small portion of all that you have given us each day. The gifts of sunshine, relationships, laughter, and so much more flow into our lives without us even having to ask for them. May we live being aware of your blessings to each of us, that we may be stirred to actively seek to bless others each and every day. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let us continue worshiping in prayer. Let us pray. Holy One, we come to you in a nation filled with turmoil, heated political rhetoric, and violence, and a world filled with turmoil, violence, and war. Help us to experience and to express the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ in our lives and as we engage with others. Help us to be patient. Help us to be kind. Help us to be slow to anger. Help us to strive for justice. This morning we ask a special blessing on Dr. Sean Bowalski. Equip him with the energy and resources to minister to this congregation and community. May Sean's ministry lead us to social justice through the many faces of Jesus our Lord. We also give thanksgiving for Sean and the safe arrival of his family. We give you thanks for the members of our search committee, the wonderful staff at Mayflower, and the members of this church who did so much to keep us functioning during the interim period. We ask a special blessing this morning for Sean's family, Kim Peters, who is facing cancer, Fred Stevens, suffering from an undiagnosed source of bleeding, Roger Bauer and his family at the passing of Willa, Linda and Bert Crandall as Linda begins a battle with lung cancer, and for Preston Bradley Ratliff for domestic peace and discernment, peace in his family. And now, for all the unspoken needs that are listed in our heart, let us pray in silence. And let us pray together. In the words of Jesus, our Father,
turn now to the benediction. I'll ask you to have your bulletin in your hand. There's a call and response for the dismissal uh, just after the benediction. And I have a, a special practice of how I send you off and bless you. God has called you this week. Go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. We go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God.